Welcome to History Sleep, a podcast exploring the involvement of history and culture in current events. My name is Adelaide, and today we are going to talk about some silly historical conspiracy theories. <laughs> but before we get into that, if you're on Twitter, follow me at Sleep History to get updates about when I post new episodes, and make sure also to follow History Sleep on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, I wanted to go on a bit of a, a tangent. This will be more of an, an unstructured <laughs> episode than, than some of my others where I've done a lot more research because I um, wrote an entirely different episode that I was planning to record and post this week. And I was like, I want to get ahead. So I'll do this one that I have planned and then do this like more structured episode or more more unstructured episode um, so that I can actually get ahead. But I decided not to record the one that I wrote. Um, and so now I'm not ahead. But anyway... <laughs> I've been kind of like rethinking a lot of the ways that I go about making this podcast because I started noticing in myself that when I was researching or like trying to come up with new topics, I would look for things that like, this sounds like extreme, but like things that like angered me or caused outrage. I would look for things to be outraged at that I could talk about that I could correct um, and kind of bring that that fire to, to my podcast. And I started to realize like how much that wears on me and how exhausting it is to constantly looking to constantly look for things to be angry at and that's not like that's not the kind of person I want to be <laughs> that's really dramatic but I, I it's not like what I want to spend all my time doing you know like obviously there are, are things that come up that are a big deal that are important to to correct and I talk a lot about disinformation and misinformation and those things are still important to address they're important for me to address I feel like but but to look for things like that and to constantly kind of like be on the lookout and trying to get myself into the state ready for the podcast to talk really fire like be all fired up about things and I don't know that that's good and and I started thinking too about like the kind of podcasts that I listen to and the kind of like YouTube channels that I watch and there seems to be a, a commonality there of like I watch a lot of commentary things, listen to a lot of more like commentary style podcasts um, talking about this person did something wrong or this thing is going badly or this needs to change about the internet or about our country or whatever. And, and, and while those things may be true, like to be constantly in that state of looking for things to correct and trying to, to correct them is, is honestly really exhausting. Just this kind of like culture of of outrage that we have that that motivates us to do things i think can be useful and the heart the tension with this is a lot of a lot of the things that using even like my podcast for example a lot of the things that i have focused on different like prager you videos or dumb things that politicians say or stuff like that like those are <laughs> those people were wrong in the way that they said those things and conveyed those things and the, the things that they said but like to constantly be looking for that and focusing on that I think is just really draining. And so I don't really know. I, I've started realizing more like how much of my podcast was influenced by um, finding things to be outraged about. And I don't know that that's the kind of content that I want to consistently create or that that's the kind of content anybody wants to consistently listen to. <laughs> that sounds exhausting on, on your part as well. And so I don't know. I don't know. The episode that I wrote before deciding not to record it I may record it another time kind of go about it in a different way but I don't like the way that I have it written out right now so it's about the events of January 6th and kind of digging into what really happened and I think I mean obviously that's a really hard topic right um, because that's when I, I want to discuss when a um, group of people went to the Capitol 
they they would call it a protest, I think, um, but a lot of people call it storming the Capitol because of the, the violence and different illegal activities that took place. And so that's a, a whole conversation that we can have within that podcast episode. Um, we don't need to get into the, the details of it right now. I like to talk a lot about language and the words that we use, and, and that's a lot of, of what I think I'll keep that I've, I've written for that episode. But while I think that is still an important thing to go over and a hard topic to go over and one that I don't think we have a good national understanding of right now because it was so recent, like that's months ago, right? <laughs> a couple months ago in our very, very recent American history. Um, I do think it's important that we have a good understanding of what happened there. But I don't know, in, in writing it, some part of me just got so frightened, <laughs> especially I was researching into like the, the people who were there and the different groups that kind of like endorsed this event specific like white supremacist groups or domestic terrorist groups and uh that's terrifying that's terrifying and i realized that i just i can't focus all my energy on those sorts of people and those sorts of things when there's so much about history and learning history and communicating history to people that i love and always looking at the topics that make me angry or scared um, well, important to do every once in a while is just not sustainable um, because I, I couldn't even bring myself to talk about in depth. I talk about January 6th um, when recording today. I just I looked at my notes and I had this sick feeling in my stomach. Even after researching, I had this sick feeling in my stomach. And so anyway, yeah, this is a long tangent <laughs> before getting into conspiracy theories. And I want to preface too the conspiracy theories I want to talk about today are the silly ones, not the serious, more serious ones or damaging ones. Because there's a lot of different conspiracy theories out there that can cause a lot of damage. It's not just a conspiracy theory, you know. It's like disinformation. We, I guess, in that sense, we talk about conspiracy theories already on History Sleuth all the time. But I wanted to talk about the ones that are, are more lighthearted and more obviously ridiculous because I think um, this podcast needs a little bit more lightheartedness to it, um, a little bit more, a little less outrage, <laughs> maybe. Um, that can be good every once in a while, but trying to trying to figure out my, my direction, what I really want out of this and what I think is a good use of my time, a good use of your time to listen to. <laughs> Apparently long tangents about my uh, introspective thoughts is <laughs> what I've got right now. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, so I have a few different articles of conspiracy theories that are pretty funny. And I will link the articles that I'm using in my description below if you want to look into them. Um, so let's just have a chill good time. So I first have an insider article and it is titled Seven Historical Figures That Are Plagued by Wild Conspiracy Theories. Um, and the first one that they've got here is that the most prevalent conspiracy theory about Abraham Lincoln is about his assassination, namely that John Wilkes Booth didn't act alone. The article says the official record states that Abraham Lincoln was shot at Ford's Theater on April 4th, 14th, 1865 in Washington, D.C. by John Wilkes Booth. Not everyone's convinced, though. According to the Ford Theater's website, there have been plenty of alleged co-conspirators in the plot to assassinate Lincoln, including Confederate President Jefferson Davis, Confederate Secretary of State Judah P. Benjamin, the Pope, the Secretary of War, and the Secretary of War Edwin Stanton. So that's kind of interesting because, I mean, it's definitely possible that we could do more research into Lincoln's assassination and um, find something that we didn't know before. I feel like, though, because he's such, obviously, a high-profile figure in American history, in America in general, he's um, usually generally people's favorite president or known as the best president of the United States. I think most people do agree that Lincoln was one of the best. Not that there's a, <laughs> much competition there, but <laughs> whatever. I do think we would have found something if there if there was something to be found, but that's definitely interesting. A, a possibility there. That's not so much of a silly conspiracy theory. Okay, I don't think the Pope was involved. I'm going to have to put that out there. I find that extremely unlikely. But <laughs> since the Civil War was happening, or was wrapping up, <laughs> 
I mean, it's war. It's definitely, definitely, I find that possible. Okay. Okay. The next conspiracy theory they have is Amelia Earhart disappeared and was presumed dead after her plane went missing, but some aren't so sure how it went down. Or that's how it went down. Earhart, a prolific pilot, vanished in 1937 during an attempted flight around the world. Earhart and her navigator departed from New Guinea on July 2nd and were never heard from again. Two years later, they were officially declared dead. From then on, there have been multiple theories surrounding what happened to her. For example, one theory posits that she was captured by the Japanese because a photo surfaced in the National Archives of a woman's back that resembles Earhart. That's that's really stretching it. Uh, Japan denies this. Another theory suggests that Earhart crashed, was captured by the Japanese, rescued by the U.S., and then moved to New Jersey to take up another identity. As per the book, Amelia Earhart lives. There's a whole book? Oh my goodness. Okay, (laughs) it ends with, this is horrible, but unfortunately, the most likely theory is that navigator Fred Noonan and Earhart's plane crashed and the two were tragically killed. Okay, I want to look more at this book what there's a link here america amelia Earhart lives please tell me what is this a book dedicated to this conspiracy theory okay this one's really interesting because like who's to say it's and i don't know that we can ever really figure out what actually happened let's look at this book oh it's an amazon link amelia Earhart lives a trip through intrigue to find america's first lady of mystery that is very dramatic i love it okay the, the description of it says, did Amelia Earhart die when her 1937 world flight ended? Okay, it says, a plane crash in California bearing her number, a secret code, a living lady who might be the long dead flyer, and startling coincidences ask, did she die in 1937 or secretly return after World War II? Okay, so this looks like um, like a alternative history sort of book, like historical fiction. It was published in 2000. This is very crazy. What? I don't understand. (laughs) I I can't tell if he's serious or not. (laughs) This is so interesting. Sorry, this is really a tangent. This is a super unstructured episode, huh? So, I mean, it's possible. I will say it does seem more likely that Amelia Earhart died in attempting this flight around the world. But also, we don't have any proof of that. So, who's to say that she didn't live or end up somewhere else or... I don't know. I feel like though she survived, that she would have made it known. Um, like, did Amelia Earhart have any reason to want to like fake her death or like let people believe for multiple years that she had passed away? Because I feel like anybody with like family back home would want to get back home or like let people know <laughs> you're not dead, even if you're like, hey, I'm gonna, I'm in Japan, I'm gonna stay in Japan but I'm alive. I feel like she would let people know, but I guess then there's that theory that she was captured by the Japanese. Um, in which case she wouldn't be able to let people know that she had survived. But I, the photo, I don't think makes that very likely. (laughs) And it would be interesting. Okay. So the article says Japan denies this, but like, when did they deny it? When did this theory first come up? I have more questions than answers. I'm so sorry. (laughs) I don't know. I, I feel like I could believe this one, but I think it is more likely that she died. Okay, our next conspiracy theory is John F. Kennedy's assassination is another event that's rife with conspiracy theories. In American history, there may have been nothing more contentious than the death of JFK in Dallas, Texas in 1963. You might have even heard buzzwords like Grassy Knoll, Umbrella Man, and the Zapruder film. I haven't heard that last one. Here's what they actually mean. Oh, good. First, they're going to do the Zapruder film one. Okay, what is that? It says, a bystander at the fateful motorcade happened to be recording footage of the president driving by. Conspiracy theorists believe that the film shows that multiple shots were fired and that at least one was shot from a different angle than the other three, 
leading us to the grassy knoll. The grassy knoll refers to a nearby grassy hill that another shooter, besides Lee Javier Oswald, is theorized to have been lurking at, and that's where another mysterious shot supposedly came from. Another theory, the Umbrella Man, refers to a man holding a suspiciously large black umbrella on a notably sunny day. As the Washington Post reports, some believe that this man was working with the perpetrators and had somehow converted his umbrella into a dart gun. What? (laughs) Meant to paralyze the president. Okay, that's really interesting. And this reminds me too, I don't know if y'all have seen that show. It's on Netflix called uh, The Umbrella Academy. In the second season, they go back in time to the 1960s and do a lot of stuff around uh, JFK's assassination. And I didn't realize The Umbrella Man, obviously Umbrella Academy, umbrellas are a thing (laughs) with um, this show, but there's a, uh, one of the characters is a man holding an umbrella. Um, So I didn't realize that was like a real person in the picture. That's really interesting. I also think this is interesting that this is the second conspiracy theory related to the assassination of a president. Obviously, there's a lot there to theorize about because I don't think this is something that there's a lot of like available information about or like people who have what really happened, like information about what really happened to Lincoln or JFK would want to make that readily known right after because like killing a president, like that's not something you want to be like, okay, here's how (laughs) we don't want, we don't want people to do that or to make a habit of doing that. I think it's, this is really interesting. I feel like I don't know enough about this to say what is likely or what is unlikely. I don't find it entirely implausible that there would be more than one person attempting to assassinate a president. I feel like they're such a large enough figure that if there is one person who wants to assassinate them, like why not more than one? That's definitely possible. But I don't know. The whole, the umbrella thing really gets me. The umbrella that's supposed to be a dart gun. The par- What? <laughs> that one, I don't. I don't think is as likely. I can accept the fact that maybe there is another shooter. But an umbrella dart gun? Nope. Nope. Sorry. <laughs> don't like this one. Okay, the next one is, Many people believe that William Shakespeare didn't actually write his own plays and sonnets and was instead just a figurehead. Okay, this is interesting. Could it be true that Shakespeare, the most influential playwright in history, didn't actually write anything? Potentially. At least 70 other potential candidates have been put forth over the centuries, but few have become frontrunners. Sir Francis Bacon was the first alternate Shakespeare to be named by author Delia Bacon. No relation. (laughs) That's funny. Bacon, unlike Shakespeare, was well-educated, well-traveled, and an accomplished philosopher. According to Delia, the scholar would have sullied his reputation if he had openly written plays like Shakespeare. That's fair. So other popular theories are that Edward de Vere, the 17th seventeenth Earl of Oxford, is actually the bard, or that Shakespeare was really Christopher Marlowe. Proponents of this theory called Marlovians believe that Marlowe faked his own death in a bar fight. <laughs> what? And then began writing in earnest. Okay. <laughs> this is interesting because I have heard before. Okay, so like in college, I double majored in English and history. And so I interacted with Shakespeare in a few different contexts, which is particularly interesting. And I really like reading Shakespeare. Um, I guess that's why I majored in English. Um, I think his, his plays are good. My favorite is Much Ado About Nothing. And his poetry, obviously, is very well done as well. And so in English, my English classes, I'd be around people who are like, yeah, Shakespeare's cool. We like reading Shakespeare. And some people hated him. You know, there's a variety of opinions. Um, but when I'd get to history, my history classes, um, we would have very different discussions. And it actually is very possible. I think I think it's proven. I'm not entirely sure about that. I don't have the facts with me in front of me right now. But what I've heard before is that Shakespeare definitely didn't write all of them. This conspiracy theory is saying he wrote none of them. I That's another step. But I've definitely heard that he like plagiarized some of his plays, especially there are some 
that are just like so different from other ones that he's written. I can't think of any off the top of my head that fit into this category right now. But the idea is that he would send people to like other performances of, of plays that weren't his and have them like sit there and take notes or like go a couple times and get the whole script um, and then bring it back to him. And he would pass it off as his own as already like more successful, more established. He could take these plays and pass them off as his own. It's possible too that um, some other playwrights would uh, like basically ghostwrite for Shakespeare because they were more likely to get people to see their work to get their work like actually performed if it, Shakespeare's name was on it than if their name was on it um, because Shakespeare became so well-known and um, popular and famous. And so maybe there was some stealing on Shakespeare's part. Maybe there were people who were willing to let him take the credit for stuff that they wrote. But I think I've never heard that the theory that he didn't write anything. I don't know that I entirely believe that. I've got I've to think he wrote at least at least some of the work that's accredited to him. There is so much. It's definitely possible that some of it's stolen or some of it's ghostwritten or whatever. I could believe that if if somebody had evidence and a convincing argument to, to get me there. But none of it is so interesting. I, I think it's the theory that this one dude, who is it? Oh, Francis Bacon. Oh, that uh, people thought for Sir Francis Bacon wrote some of his plays because Shakespeare's plays were more like, I don't know, like less respectable or whatever. Like it says here, like his reputation would have been damaged by association to some of these plays. So that's interesting. That kind of supports my like ghostwriter theory too, that maybe there were some other people, maybe maybe not Sir Francis Bacon, but maybe people like him who ghost wrote plays for Shakespeare because Shakespeare could, his reputation could handle it, but their reputation couldn't maybe. I don't know. That could be interesting. I don't, I don't think I believe this, um, fake fake your death in a bar fight sort of thing uh <laughs> christopher marlowe faking his death in a bar fight and then becoming shakespeare that that's funny i would i want i want to see more evidence for that how also also how do you fake your death in a bar fight would you have to you'd have to have the people you're fighting be in on it right you'd have to <laughs> you'd have to orchestrate this with like other people and be like okay we're gonna go we're gonna go to the bar and we're gonna drink and we're gonna pretend to argue and then get in a fight and you're gonna fake kill me. What do how do you how do you make that convincing in the seventeenth century? I don't know enough. <laughs> I need to do more research. How to fake your death in a bar fight. That'll be my next episode. The next conspiracy theory. At least one book has been written that claims Alice in Wonderland author Lewis Carroll might have moonlit as serial killer Jack the Ripper. Oh no, I knew we were going to get to serial killer sooner or later. Okay, there are a lot of conspiracy theories and like historical fiction and um, like alternative historical whatever. Uh, alternative history books, that's the word I was looking for, <laughs> about Jack the Ripper. I think people are really interested in serial killers in general. Obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you know, in the podcast world, there's lots of true crime podcasts, lots of interest about true, ki- true crime and serial killers and all those sorts of things. It all kind of freaks me out, to be honest. I've never really understood why true crime is so popular, but I, uh, I've i got a lot of um, podcast friends who are true crime podcasters, and so I feel like I can't be like, you're weird. <laughs> They're doing stuff. People like it. You know, that's cool. But uh, Jack the Ripper... Let me see. Oh, okay. It says here, Jack the Ripper was a London-based serial killer who is said to have murdered at least five women in 1888. The culprit was never identified, leaving the case wide open for conspiracy theorists. Yeah, so this is definitely not the only conspiracy theory on Jack the Ripper. 
I've never heard that Lewis Carroll might be it. So, okay, so this conspiracy theory began with a book called Jack the Ripper, Lighthearted Friend, written by Richard Wallace, who is a, quote, clinical social worker and part-time Carroll scholar, according to Mental Floss. Wallace's theory rests on the idea that Carroll had a mental breakdown while he was away at boarding school and that he was never able to recover from the trauma. Most of the evidence that he has comes from rearranging the nonsensical passages of Alice's Adventures and Wonderland into more sinister sentences. Um, that... <laughs> is that it? That seems like a stretch. That seems like a, a big stretch. Okay, I do want to find... Let me see if I can find this one poem by Lewis Carroll, because it he does have this very odd... Oh, there it is, Jabberwocky. Yeah, he does have this very odd, like, poetic style... But I don't know that you can say that it's sinister. That seems like another step. And then to take that, even if he like had a rough time in school and then wrote weird poems, like that doesn't necessarily mean <laughs> that he's Jack the Ripper. Like that that all seems like a stretch. I don't think I believe this one at all. Some of these some of these you could convince me. This one I don't I don't think. Oh my goodness, why can't I find this poem? I just want to read the Jabberwocky poem. Let me read it. Okay, here's the Jabberwocky. Also, I'm going to sound like I'm mispronouncing lots of things because he uses nonsense words. Because that's just... he. This is the guy that wrote Alice in Wonderland, you know? Like, this is what you expect from him. Okay, so I'm going to kind of struggle through this, but it'll be fine. Jabberwocky by Lewis Carroll. Twas brillig and the slithy's toves did gyre and gimble in the wabe. All mimsy were the groves and mome wraths outgrabe. Beware the jabberwock, my son, the jaws that bite, the claws that catch. Beware the jubjube bird, and shun the frumious bandersnatch. He took his vorpal sword and hand, long time the maxom foe he sought. So rested he by the tum-tum tree, and stood a while in thought. And as in uffish thought he stood, the jabberwock, with eyes of flame, came whiffling through the toldy wood, and burbled as it came. One, two, one, two, and through and through, the vorpal blade went snicker-snack. He left it dead, and with its head he went galumphing back. And hast thou slain the jabberwock? Come to my arms, my beamish boy. O frabgious day, kula, kule, he chortled in his joy. Twas brillig and the slithy toves did gyre and gimble in the wabe. All mimsy were the borogoves, and mome wraiths outgrabe. Yeah, so there's that. <laughs> um... <laughs> I think part of his writing style is being nonsensical. And so, yeah, that's that's a lame one. That's a lame conspiracy theory. I don't believe it. Totally disagree. Do not think Lewis Carroll is Jack the Ripper. I think he's just a weird dude. And even if he did have a mental breakdown or whatever at boarding school, like, it seems like he had a good outlet for it, you know, if he's writing wacky poems. Um, that's al always a great outlet. Creative activities, um, poetry is a great um, a great way for... Uh, to process those like difficult mental things. That's something um, I really enjoy creative writing and, and I'm not really more, much of a, a poet. I like to do um, novels and stuff more so, but my mom always told me when I was younger working on my novels, she was like, Adelaide, I'm so sorry, but you will never be a successful author because you had such a wonderful childhood. Like you don't have any like hidden trauma <laughs> um, <laughs> to be able to be a crazy good author like clearly lewis carroll or like edgar Allan poe or somebody like that so <laughs> i mean you know my mom was just too great of a mom that's the only only way she's ever held me back um <laughs> 
Anyway, moving on. Uh, according to some, Nikola Tesla invented what's been called a death ray. What? <laughs> and it says, and the U.S. government has plans. What? Okay, let's learn about this theory. When Tesla died in January 1943, the U.S. government took a bunch of papers from his hotel room, and some claim that these included plans for a particle beam weapon, a.k.a. a death ray. Okay, welcome to Star Wars. <laughs> We've arrived. <laughs> a particle beam. This is like an Avengers plot. <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm reading a conspiracy theory article or like the, the script of the next Avengers movie. Okay. For decades after, nobody knew what the government did with all these documents, making it easy for people to believe that the authorities were allegedly hiding schematics for a death ray. The FBI eventually released some of these documents, but many are still missing. It's anybody's guess what's inside. So I guess I do not have the evidence or the authority to say that it's not a death ray, <laughs> but I really feel like it's not. Um... <laughs> I'm like crying laughing. This is so funny to me for some reason. Yeah, I mean, sure. It could be a death ray or it could be something else. I do think it's interesting in general that the government took Tesla's papers, his ideas, like what was, hmm, now I see how conspiracy theories get started. <laughs> what was on those papers? I mean, I do think it's really interesting that they released some of those documents. Ooh, that looks like it's a link too. Let's click on it. What is it? Oh, it took us to history.com. The mystery of Nikola Tesla's missing files. Okay, okay. Let's see what it says. Oh, oh, the conspiracy apparently was not just created by random history nerds, but Tesla himself. The history.com article says Tesla had claimed to have invented a powerful particle beam weapon known as a death ray. So he was just, he was, this, he was just saying this stuff. What? Okay. It was the height of World War II and Tesla claimed to have invented a powerful particle beam weapon known as a death ray that could have proved invaluable in the ongoing conflict. So rather than risk Tesla's technology falling into the hands of America's enemies, the government swooped in and took possession of all property and documents from his rooms. What happened to Tesla's files from there, as well as what exactly was in those files, remains shrouded in mystery and ripe for conspiracy theories. After years of fielding questions about possible cover-ups, the FBI finally declassified some 250 pages of Tesla-related documents. The Bureau followed up with two additional releases, the latest in March 2018, but even with the publications of these documents, many questions still remain unanswered, and some of Tesla's files are still missing. Okay. Okay, this is very interesting. There are more links here. I will link this in my description if you want to. Oh, this is like a whole novel. Okay, maybe we can come back to this. I take it back. I said this was a, a movie plot. This is not a movie plot. This is real. Did Tesla invent a death ray? I want to know. I have to know. We will come back to this um, another time. This is so funny. Okay, so I have more conspiracy theories. <laughs> You thought we were done? We are not done. We are just getting started. Uh, this is from worldatlas.com. 12 of the most popular conspiracy theories in American history. Okay, this one's really interesting. I was reading this article earlier. I wasn't reading the other one. I didn't read through the other one as closely as I looked at the, some of the beginnings of this one. Okay, so this one's really interesting. Here's a theory about Mount Rushmore. So, with construction starting in 1927, it took 14 years before Mount Rushmore was open to the public, but even then it was not finished. In addition to wanting to depict Washington, Jefferson, Roosevelt, and Lincoln from the waist up, sculptor uh, Gutzon Bor Borglum intended to build a massive chamber behind the monument. <laughs> what? A accessed by an 800-foot granite staircase. That's ginormous. This chamber was supposed to, supposed to house America's most prized historical documents and artifacts, including the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> 
Okay, this is starting starting to sound like a national treasure plot. (laughs) Construction on the chamber had begun, but it remains mostly incomplete because all the funds were eventually funneled into the war effort. While it does not contain the Declaration of Independence, many conspiracy theorists believe that the government is using the chamber to store the nation's secrets, such as untold treasures or aliens. <laughs> All right. Well, we kind of we kind of took a left turn there at the end with the alien. But other than that, it's really interesting. Yeah, I do remember reading an article a while back, though, that like the construction of Mount Rushmore on the rock structure that it's a part of was important to the native tribe of that area. And so to carve like the faces of American figures into this important structure for Native Americans was, like, rather disrespectful, as well as, you know, a lot of things that Americans have done in American history. So if for a grand conspiracy about Mount Rushmore, I don't know, maybe that part and our history with Native Americans is something that we should talk about a little bit more, be a little bit more sensitive to. But this is very interesting as well, a chamber behind the monument. Yeah, I mean, it's probably good (laughs) that it's unfinished and that we don't have to um, wrestle with having our nation's secrets or artifacts on part of a structure that uh, should belong to Native Americans. But um, yeah, that's really interesting, though. It's really interesting. Here's another interesting one about Truman Capote and To Kill a Mockingbird. So authors Truman Capote and Harper Lee grew up as childhood friends in Monroeville, Alabama, The former went on to write Breakfast at Tiffany's, In Cold Blood, and a handful of other stories throughout his illustrious career. Up until the 2015 release of Ghost at a Watchman, Harper Lee only wrote one, 1960's To Kill a Mockingbird. Lee's only literary work won her a Pulitzer Prize, which supposedly planted the seed of jealousy within Capote, who began distancing himself from her. This prompted many literary literary conspiracy theorists to speculate whether Capote was the actual author of To Kill a Mockingbird. In their opinion, why would such a talented individual write one book, later two, only to effectively cut herself off from society after it earned her so many accolades? Okay, I have a simple way to debunk this conspiracy theory. Maybe Harper Lee was just very introverted. <laughs> right? Like, maybe, I, I, from what I've heard about her and her reaction to the, the fame that she got from writing To Kill a Mockingbird is that she was very uncomfortable with all of the attention, with people knowing who she was. Um, she did not want to like live this famous author life and really be recognized for her work. And I think that's what prevented her from publishing Ghost at a Watchman for so long um, is because she didn't want to bring attention back to herself again. So I don't know that this really makes sense that Capote wrote To Kill a Mockingbird. Because then too, if he was jealous that she got a Pulitzer Prize, for a book that he actually wrote, wouldn't he say, oh, by the way, I wrote this, <laughs> right? Like if he was the actual writer and he wanted that recognition, Harper Lee probably, honestly, maybe this conspiracy theory is started by Harper Lee. <laughs> um, she didn't want the attention. She probably would have been okay with him revealing that he was the real author if that was the case once she was getting uncomfortable with all of the attention and stuff that she was getting. So I think this one really just falls apart. That's disappointing. Not even convincing. I need to go back to the Death Ray article. That one was way more convincing. Okay, this one goes over the Umbrella Man again with the JFK um, idea or assassination. Okay, so here they go into more detail. They say some theorists claim that the opening of the umbrella was a signal to Oswald that the president was approaching. Other argue that he paralyzed JFK with a poison dart. That's stupid. <laughs> um, in 1978, ooh, ooh, we get a name. The man was identified as Louis Stephen Witt. He explained that he had... 
he had sported the umbrella as a criticism against Patriarch Joseph Kennedy, who had supported the, the British Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain. Chamberlain, who frequently carried an umbrella as an accessory, had appeased Hitler for much of the 1930s. Well, I guess that makes sense. The poison dart idea is much more interesting <laughs> and funny, but I think that does seem logical. And that's the problem with conspiracy theory, studying history in general. Like, there's a way that we think things would make sense and work together as if real life was like a movie or something. Um, if if this was a movie, you know, okay, so like in the Umbrella Academy show that I was talking about earlier, in that in season two of that show, the Umbrella Man does play a role because it's a show. It has writers and they want to put in details that they're going to wrap up and bring together. Um, that all makes sense, but like real life doesn't work like that. So just because there's a man with an umbrella and that seems weird and significant doesn't mean it is significant. It's just a weird like political statement. Well, I guess it's a good political statement. We don't want to support people who support Hitler. That's fair. I, I give him that. You know, that's a good... Um, a good stance to take will support that stance but like carrying an umbrella is an interesting way to go about that it's very subtle i guess was he expecting jfk to understand i don't know i don't know that is a very a very interesting thing i think that's one of these this is just one of these things that's like odd but meaningless but we want it to mean something but it's just it's just hmm kind of disappointing. Okay, next one. Surely this one will not disappoint. Area 51. <laughs> Is there intelligent life out there? Until 2013, the American government had never publicly acknowledged the existence of Area 51, a military base located deep in the Nevada desert. Because of this denial, many people believe that it is a secret research station where scientists are performing exper experiments on extraterrestrial beings. One of the main sources of inspiration behind this theory is a 1947 weather balloon crash in Roswell, New Mexico, which, thanks to flashy headlines, is often viewed as a cover-up for a UFO landing. In reality, as far as the government claims, Area 51 is a base for testing experimental aircraft for the United States military. Well, I don't know. I think it still could have aliens. Do you guys remember back, was it September? September 2020, when people were like, let's storm Area 51 and, and make the government show us the aliens. Whatever happened with that? Anybody know? Let me know. Um, let's do one more. I haven't heard of this one, so we're going to end with this one, and maybe we'll come back to some of these in later episodes, because this is fun and not angering, and we're here to have a good time, as well as correct misinformation and disinformation. That is my new plan. Have a good time, also call out lies. But, like, laugh at the same time, in, like, a good, positive, encouraging way, not in, like, a mean way. Okay, that is the plan. What is this theory? Last one, the Stanley R. Mickelson Safeguard Complex. The World Atlas article says, During the Cold War, the United States government approved the construction of the Stanley R. Mickelson Safeguard Complex in North Dakota, a military facility designed to detect incoming Soviet missiles. The main building is shaped like a pyramid and cost up to $500 million. The complex became a place of interest to conspiracy theorists when it opened on October 1st, 1975, and then promptly shut down the very next day. What? In operation for only 24 hours, many people began to wonder exactly why it had been built in the first place. Because of the pyramid-shaped building, many suspect... Okay, <laughs> what? It is the headquarters for the Illuminati, a secret historical society that has been greatly fictionalized over the years. Wait, Illuminati's real? Hold on, following this link. There's a link on Illuminati. We are looking at it. Oh my goodness! The article is not found. <laughs> Another conspiracy theory will emerge. I guess we'll never know. <laughs> I feel tricked. Um, this is weird. It's got like a picture with it too, which is obviously not very helpful for you on a podcast, but it is like a pyramid shaped structure. 
it just seems so weird that it's so expensive and then would shut down the day after it was built. I feel like there's something else happening there. I mean, that's that's probably how all conspiracy theories start. <laughs> I feel like there's something else going on. But like, actually, though, actually, though, not something like secret society related, but there, there had to be something big for something that expensive to be shut down so quickly. And so like, finally, mm, I want to know more about this. Maybe we will investigate these more. Um, I had a good time today, which is different than sometimes when I record these episodes. And so I hope you guys had a good time, too. That's all I've got. Thank you so much for sleuthing with me and looking at these wild theories. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I will catch you guys on Tuesday when we'll do something else. That probably will be fun. Okay, don't forget to follow History Sleuth wherever you get your podcast so you don't miss it. And rate and review whenever you can. I hope you have a wonderful day. Goodbye. Goodbye.